Welcome to another episode of the Working Enneagram Podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I'm your host, Kelsey Taylor, and you are in for a treat today. I don't have any special guests that I'm interviewing. Instead, I've compiled an audio montage of all the best and favorite moments on the podcast this year. We will hear highlights from each of the nine Enneagram types, along with practical tips to put these insights into action. Up first, we'll hear from Enneagram Type 1, Jana Whitaker, who invites all perfectionists to rest in their imperfections and to try softer. Thankfully, by the grace of God, (laughs) you know, I'm not who I once was. And so I look back, you know, I can see growth in my life from 10 years ago and Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Um, And honestly, Jake, since you brought up the inner critic, that I can hear that once in a while in my brain, but I've literally learned to shush it. And here's Mm. what I say. I say, I am an imperfect person. Mm. (sighs) And I I live (laughs) in an imperfect world because I think ones have this drive all the time that I want to do what's good and what's right. And doesn't everybody? And and yet I'm an imperfect person. I'm flawed. I'm, you know, and I'm living in this imperfect world. And so for me to, it's, we can err when we think we've got to, you know, play that too heavily because then it can come across as controlling Mm -hmm. to other people. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful that, you know, I can see growth in my life. You know, I'm not where I want to be yet, but um, definitely not where I I used to be. And I think I'm easier on myself. I read a fabulous book recently that I honestly want to buy and give to everyone Enneagram one in my life called Try Softer. Oh, um, by it's Andy written, Colbert. Yes, you know the book, oh, it's Kelsey. Wonderful. Okay, you're. I literally wanted to bring you a copy. Um, it's so good, and she is herself a. Um, she kind of comes at her book as a counselor. She's mm-hmm. also like a psychologist. Mm-hmm. She approaches or, with a Christian worldview, so it's kind of a beautiful integration of of those things. And I think she speaks so much to the experience of the one that oftentimes as children, I think we're trying to be good. Um, Maybe we think we've got to be better all the time. And so she kind of describes this white knuckling. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just trying harder. Like my motto in life, just try harder and try harder and try harder. And instead she gives this new paradigm of, try softer, try softer. And, um, and of course, there's so much to it that I can't explain in the time we have oh, together. No, you summed it up beautifully. Wow, well, I tell you, it mm. is. It's a wonderful book. It is. I wish I'd read that sooner because that's hmm. been new in my life, and I'm still in my mind, kind of working. <laughs> yeah, it's wow. good. Good stuff. I love this idea of shushing your inner critic, and I think that's something really every Enneagram one should work on doing. When you hear your inner critic pointing out your flaws, take a moment to shush them. And give yourself permission to make mistakes and be imperfect. Instead of thinking of a way to try harder, take a moment and ask yourself, what would it look like to try softer? Show yourself more grace and compassion. Next up, we will hear from Enneagram 2's Sarah and John's story, and they're going to share ways that they discern what they need. If you're a 2, this advice is going to feel counterintuitive, maybe even selfish, but I promise you it will lead to stronger, better, and more loving relationships. Okay, I want to point out something that I found super intriguing, and it doesn't surprise me in the least. I asked, how do you know what you need? 
And my in my interpretation of that question was, how does John know what John needs? And how does Sarah know what Sarah needs? And as twos, <laughs> you answered, for, how does John for, know what yeah. Sarah, Sarah needs? And, yeah. how does Sarah... <laughs> and well, I love that. That's just a two in yeah. like textbook. Yeah, and, yeah. textbook. Yes. So now I'm going to flip it on mm-hmm. the head here. And I'd okay. love to know, like, how does Sarah know what Sarah needs? How does John know what John needs? That's a tough question, Kels. That's hard for an Enneagram too, who doesn't want to self-reflect or look inside. Mm. Um, that's tough. Um, I'm gonna make you work. You, I know you are. Do you need time? Like, do you want me to answer? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, oh gosh, I said that, and now the thoughts just left my mind. So back to you, Sarah. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, thanks for joining today. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know, for me, um, trying to figure out what I need in the moment, uh, it's part of just kind of taking a step back and seeing, okay, where am I at emotionally? Like, am I, am I upset about something? Okay, right now I'm very frustrated at something. And so I just need time alone, mm-hmm. right? And so then it's me trying to, and it's been a learning process, communicate that with Sarah of, hey, I don't want you to feel like I don't want you around right now because she's a two as well. And, you know, that's one of our deepest fears, not being wanted. And so it's, you know, like, doing that self-reflection of, okay, right now I'm, I'm upset. I need to be alone versus, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm feeling sad about something. And right now I just really need a hug from Sarah to, and through that, getting that reassurance, that affirmation, like, Hey, you're okay. Whatever the situation is, you're going to make it through. Um, and so I think it is, I think it's a challenge. What about you, Sarah? How does Sarah know what Sarah needs? looking at myself and determining kind of similar to John, what am I feeling right now? And what is going to bring me back to a state of feeling happy or at least peaceful? Um, If I'm frustrated, is it going to be talking it through? Is it going to be um, processing it through it with someone else? Or is it going to be communicating, whether it's with John or with friendships or coworkers, getting to sit back and say, okay, what's going to make me feel better in this moment? Um, or at least get me to, like I said, maybe not happy, but to a state of peace of feeling like I can continue on and keep going. Mm-hmm. So I think that that changes depending on the day. I am much more of a verbal processor. Like I do want to go and talk it out with people, mm-hmm. um, but occasionally that's not the case. And so I think just kind of trying to take a step back and looking inward is is super helpful. This is good stuff, y'all. I love how both Sarah and John mentioned the first place to start when you need to figure out what it is that you need is with self-reflection. Self-reflection requires you to take some time and identify your emotions. And I would recommend doing this in solitude because twos have a difficult time knowing what they are feeling if someone else is around. It's far too easy for them to focus on other people's feelings or to cater to the needs of other people. But if solitude is not feasible, then ask a trusted friend to let you verbally process your feelings. And this should be someone who is patient, non-judgmental, and supportive. Finally, I want you to use Sarah's question as a guide to help you find the best solution. As a reminder, her question was, what is going to bring me back to a peaceful state? Now this next clip comes from Enneagram 3, Jacob Farrell. Let's hear what Jacob has to say about being productive. Tell me about how you know that you're disconnected and how you get reconnected. I feel like there are times where I'm just so busy in doing the things that I think are needed to be done or are seen as important by other people mm-hmm. instead of actually thinking about how it's like good for me. Yeah. 
because there's so many things that you can pack in and do um, that other people see as good. A lot of other people are going to look at that and see, wow, that's that's a great thing that you're achieving. Yes. What an accomplishment. But if you don't stop and think about how this is actually good for you or is it is it advancing you or this is what where God is planning for you mm-hmm. to go, mm-hmm. then you can do all these things and then be empty at the end of it. Do you see that show up more at work or more at home or both? I mean, with with work, you have a boss that kind of tells you what your tasks are. Yeah. So there there are times that I do things that I personally don't see the value in, mm-hmm. but I, I get paid to do those things. So like, it's like, got a paycheck, well, so. I, I see the value in that. <laughs> yes. um, but I think with like personal goals or family goals, there are times that I can set those things for for myself or or for our family to do. And if I don't, if I don't consciously like go back to like the month of like, these are the things that I did this month. Mm-hmm. Like what value am I getting out of these things? And there's been times that like things that are really important to me or I thought were really important to me, I had to cut out Yes, because I'm like, I'm wasting my time to just check a box. Yep. And it's always with good intentions. It is. Like you always have like the intention of like bringing value in a good way. Mm-hmm. And then it's like completely sidetracked and yeah. a waste of time. For, for an example, yeah, I read, I like reading quite a bit. And everyone tells you like, man, reading a lot of books is great. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got up to a point where I was reading like 85, 90 books a year. And people were saying, well, let's let's set your goal higher than that in the next year. And then I started doing, I was like, I am wasting my time on books that I don't even care about or don't remember what's what I read. Yep. Just be just to get this number because yeah. other people said, that's really great that you're doing that. So I cut it completely out. So I was like, I'm reading one book a month and I'm getting value out of each of them. So you're more intentional now with what you're reading and it is edifying because you've taken the time to say, yep, this is on purpose, yeah. not to get some number or check. And it doesn't box. look as good yeah. for other people, but you I'm can't get- brag about it. Exactly. <laughs> I read one book this month. One whole book. <laughs> I, I humbled myself a little bit, you know. It's common for threes to work and accomplish incredible things only to find out they still feel empty, lonely, unsuccessful, or even unfulfilled. And if threes aren't careful, they will work their entire life away with this promise, a false promise that someone will give them praise, approval, a trophy, an award, a pay raise. You get the point. For that reason, it is important to ask yourself consistently and regularly this simple question. Is the work I'm doing important to me? or to impress someone else. And the best times to ask this question are right before you start a new project, a task, a new job, or a hobby, and then after you have completed that said project or task, or after you've hit a significant milestone in your job or your hobby. Regular times for reflection and self-assessment will keep you on track to doing work that truly, truly matters to you. Next, we'll hear from Enneagram 4's Jayton Ames and Dusty Green on how to understand your emotions. Once a four kind of understands their emotion and like what it takes to kind of drive that in a way that's not unhealthy because it can become very unhealthy very easily. But once you understand like this is what passion leads to, this is what like healthy biblical passion is because you have to be passionate about ministry. You have to be passionate about pouring into people and 
emotion can't drive that, but you have to be able to understand that emotion. Mm. Um, I was mentored by a, a man named Bobby. He always described our lives as trains. Every part of the train is important and just emotions are the same. Emotions are so important, but they cannot pull your train. Mm. They cannot be the the locomotive aspect of it. It's it's the caboose. Like it, you have them, they're there, but if they're driving you, you're going to go off the tracks. And, and ministry is that way. Like you have to be able to step outside of your emotions and even step outside of other people's emotions and understanding them where they're coming from and say, this is how we're going to process this. This is how we're going to push you to Jesus in that way. Somebody listening is going to say, yes, that sounds right. How do I do that? How do I step aside from my emotions? So how would you, what's the practical steps to take for that? And there may not be a mundane ritual. It may, it may be a bunch of uh, different things. But what would you say to somebody who's like, how do I not let my emotions drive the train? It's difficult. <laughs> yeah. It is really difficult. One of my biggest struggles as a four in a job that is so ministry related is that I have a really hard time not taking every single thing personal mm -hmm. and having to be able to pull business and, and personal feelings apart is yep. really difficult. It feels like pulling apart two pieces of paper that are glued together. Yes. <laughs> and it's because what we do has such a huge eternal impact. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to pull your feelings away from that and your emotions away. And for me, I think it's usually in the failures and in the moments that are tough in my job that I have to really stop and let people around me, like my my supervisor and my colleagues, for them to be able to look at me and say, hey, Dusty, like that student who broke the rules or that student that got kicked out, like that wasn't your fault. Mm. And there's nothing you could have done to stop that. And that is always really um, freeing for me. It's just... It kind of gives me that moment of respite. I don't have to be responsible for them. Mm -hmm. I just have to love them. Yes. Yeah. So for you, it's having somebody speak that truth into you. It's helpful to have somebody that's just like, okay, you're outside of the situation. You're telling me I'm not responsible for that. And that helps my emotions kind of tailor back a little bit. And the most of them are really good friends of mine and just say like, hey, you know me. Here's the situation. Like, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? And mm -hmm. usually it's really grounding for me to hear like, hey, there's nothing you could have done to stop that. Yeah. Like That's not your fault. That's not your responsibility. And you did the best you could. If you're a four, can I just give you permission to feel your feelings without bringing shame into the picture for having them in the first place? Feelings are important. And honestly, I think you know that more than any other Enneagram type. The part where you get in your own way is when you let your feelings take the reins. I love Jayden's advice here. Don't let your emotions drive the train. That doesn't mean you ignore your emotions, but it might mean that you have to take time to understand them. Start with taking some time to yourself. And if after an hour you're still working through your emotions or they still feel big or like they are taking the reins, then take Dusty's advice on going to a trusted friend to get their perspective. And that's going to help you balance your emotions by increasing productive thinking. It's crucial for fours to bring up thinking because there is so much emotion already there. Our next clip comes from Enneagram 5's Candace and Kyle, who give us some unique insight on when we need to take time out to recharge our batteries. My rhythm is get home, cook. Not a lot of questions are asked of dad. And then we sit down. And so we sit down and we eat, we talk about our day. Um, I can usually tell at that time, like, 
oh, I'm, I'm at zero. I have nothing to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, then I usually excuse myself and just say, hey, I need maybe 30 minutes to, to gather my thoughts or um, to go and decompress for a little bit. And so I do that um, or I'll get on the Peloton and ride because that's that Good there's for you. some therapy in that. <laughs> um, and then I'm able to kind of reconnect with my family. Totally. What about for you, Candace? How can you tell when you're like, nope, I've hit my limit? And then how do you recharge? I think mostly I can, I mean, I can feel it when it's happening because I start to resent the people around me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't care what you're saying to me right now. <laughs> I'm like, I try to, you know, it's, it's when you're, you're having to force this energy out mm-hmm. of you. And then at that point, I'm like, I need to leave this situation <laughs> because then the filter goes away. And so for the sake of my Christian witness, I know it's like, <laughs> I need to step away. <laughs> that mostly happens around like large groups of people in social situations when I'm not familiar with everyone around me. I don't really need that much time to recharge, to be honest. I just need sometimes I'll sit in my car. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I won't get out for mm-hmm. a little bit. And my husband like peeks out the window. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just going to need a minute. Now, we all need time to recharge. But for Enneagram 5s, time to recharge is a precious necessity. Odds are that you'll likely know when you need to recharge if you're a 5. But sometimes we are a mystery even unto ourselves. So you may not know until it's too late. Often when a five has an outburst of rage, that would be a good indicator that you're past the point of needing a timeout. Candace is on to something when she says that she can tell that she needs a break when she's starting to feel resentment. Anger for fives is often a sign that they feel like their boundaries are not being respected. When you start to feel that resentment, that's your cue to take a timeout and recharge. And if you're not sure what recharging looks like, the best place to start is by asking, What has helped me feel recharged in the past? In our next clip, Enneagram 6's Amy Ames and Jake Fralix share their advice for other Enneagram 6's. Take a second to grab a pen and paper because you're going to want to write this down. What advice would you give to other Enneagram 6's who kind of feel stuck in being what the world expects them to be? It's okay to fail. It's okay to ask for help. Right. Mm-hmm. It's okay to rely on somebody else to to do something, whether that's at home, you know, taking care of your kids or in a professional capacity. It's it's not a one man wrecking ball. Right. We're we're about community. There's people around you that are willing to help you. Sometimes you just gotta ask. Mm-hmm. You just gotta ask. Yeah, that's well said. I love that. Thanks, Jake. What would you add? What advice would you give for any Graham Sixes out there? So I'd second all of that first. We're supposed to cast all of our fears and anxiety on God. And for sixes, I think that just resonates really strongly because, like, we're trying, right? Like, we're, mm-hmm. we're praying, like, Lord, please take this. Like, I don't want to feel this way. Like, I am trying to rely on you. But that trust is also really hard because we yeah. want that control because if we have that control, like, the worst can't happen if we're in control. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at it as like, no, you are not the savior of the world. Like Mm -hmm. God created us, like let him have that control. So you don't have to worry and have anxiety. Mm -hmm. I also think that because sixes, they tend to have that tribe because they have the loyalty in those friendships, like have that discipleship 
with those people around you. Open up about your fears and let them know because we're all here to support each other. Like you can't do things on your own. And as sixes, we like to just have plans for everybody else. And there's parts that we want to have it for ourselves, but like allow yourself to confide in others. You are not a burden. Mm -hmm. You are not stressing other people out. You are there for them. Let them be there for you Mm because you'd be surprised how much they want to be there for you. Because a lot of the time we're like, we're too much. Our anxiety is too much. I'm, I'm, a lot to handle and nobody else wants to handle this. So I must keep it in my brain at all times. Mm -hmm. And until you realize that's not the case and let it out, you're not going to be able to move into that healthy six that you're wanting and needing to be. And that's for me right now is I'm finally stepping into that healthy side of being a six and man, does it feel good. I'm like, I could just lay in the grass and watch my anxiety float overhead like the clouds. That's amazing. And it's, and I think it's because the work. You no. just, you just upped your meds, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Please cut that. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> I wish I could say that, but it is all Jesus. <laughs> I he gave it. me some extra dopamine. <laughs> But it's 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 fantastic to let yourself just be vulnerable and yeah. let yourself know that you're not too much and you're also not too much for the right people. If they can't handle it, that's on them and they're struggling with something. But your true friends and the people around you want to be in it with you. Mm-hmm. So allow that to take up space. Yeah. You can take up space. Your anxiety is not going to be too much. I think the advice that Jake and Amy share here is truly universal. While this advice was intended for Enneagram 6s, it can apply really to all Enneagram types. Asking for help is scary and vulnerable, and we all have our own reasons for not doing it. We don't want to feel like a burden, or we don't want to be rejected, or we think that we can and we should be able to do it all by ourselves, and, and we're weak if we need to ask for help. But Jake and Amy have a point. We were meant to need and support each other. So my tip for sixes, and honestly, for the rest of us too, is to give yourself permission to need help. Then ask for help. If you're a six, you love to be supportive of others. So I want you to remember how supporting others makes you feel. And then I want to encourage you to trust others to show you that same love and support too. If you're enjoying this episode, Would you consider sharing it with someone else who would love to hear it too? Sharing this episode would result in sharing more joy and goodness with someone else. And who doesn't need a little more laughter and serenity in their lives? If you aren't sure how to share, do a quick Google search on the platform you're listening on and make somebody's day. Now, let's get back to the show. Next up, we'll hear from Enneagram 7's J.T. Grimm and Anna Sapersky, who give us some encouragement on how to have hard conversations. For the 7, I'm curious how y'all learn to engage with it in a healthy way, because you mentioned that's not always helpful. I kind of usually when I'll set the parameters right off the bat, like I'm willing to have a discussion with you, but if you want to I don't know, start gossiping or whatever. I'm like, I'm, I just don't have time for it. I don't want, I, love I don't want to know it because your feelings are not my feelings. So leave them to be your feelings. And I don't want to form an opinion about someone else or something without experiencing it myself. Right. 
I love how passionate you are about, hey, we're not going to gossip. I think those are good parameters. Like, look, if you've got a problem with someone else, you go take it up with them. Yes. I don't need to be involved. If you're asking my opinion, maybe I can give you an observation of what I think, but I, I really and appreciate- I wear my emotions on my sleeve. So someone's going to know, <laughs> did you hear about this? Like, no, I can see it on your face. You're lying. <laughs> or I can tell in your voice you're lying. So it's like, I just, you know, let me form my own opinion about something. And then if it's the same, like, I'll let you know. Yeah, you're right. That person is kind of off or whatever it is. Yeah. And how about you? How do you engage with some uncomfortable conversations or conflict in general in a healthy way? I, you know, I'm learning how to do that. I'm I'm really scared. Most of the time, I, I honestly avoid it. And I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever you want. And then I run away and, you know, don't deal with it. <laughs> but I, I agree. I would agree with JT. I mean, you'd set boundaries and, hey, you know, like, let's not talk about that right now. You know, here's here's the issue that we're talking about. Here's what we're you know, the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, that is kind of a point that I am also working on and learning. I've always been go with the flow. I've always worked with people who are very strong-minded and will fight for me. Mm-hmm. So I've never had to do that. I can be like just the fun cheerleader, you know, and stuff. That's and so nice. It, it's yeah. the best. Yeah, it but <laughs> next year, our team is kind of um, – we're all dismantling. We're all going to different schools mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, I'm staying and and I'm going to be in charge of a whole new team. And so now, you know, my principal is like, I can't wait to put you in uncomfortable situations. And I'm like <laughs> – throwing up you know yeah. <laughs> i'm like yeah sure you know? yeah. yes but i i think it is just staying on track and knowing like hey it doesn't really matter what people think of me even though it it does you know but i'm like it's it's okay as long as i am accomplishing whatever i'm setting out to do but that is something i'm still working on Honestly, it's, it was that. something I will forever be growing in because I hate conflict <laughs> with other people. So. Yes, absolutely. If you're a human being, then that means at some point you are going to have to have a hard conversation, probably more than one. There's just really no way around it, no way to avoid it. And if you're a seven, that's probably very disappointing news. Sevens often doubt their ability to withstand uncomfortable or painful situations but I'm here to tell you that you can do hard things. Here are a few tips for having to face challenging conversations. First, establish your boundaries, like JT mentioned. And second, stay on topic. Third, don't worry about what other people are thinking of you, because other people's opinions of you are honestly none of your business. And finally, use your humor appropriately. It's tempting to make jokes to lighten the mood, but there is a time and a place for that. If you misuse your humor, others will have a hard time taking you seriously. Up next, we'll hear from Enneagram 8's Sarah Hammond and Daniel Palmer on how to be graciously honest. I, you know, went through just a really dark season in my life. And in that season, I just longed for the past. I just longed to be the the person I used to be. Right. And I don't, you know, I'm really, I don't have time to go through all that season, but ultimately it was rock bottom for me. And well, ultimately that's where I, I just met Jesus in a different way. Mm -hmm. 
And that space, um, recognizing the fullness of my sin, my ugliness, right? Recognizing probably for the first time, truly, I mean, you can't really fully understand God's forgiveness for you until you understood the the fullness of your wretchedness. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so I faced that there. And that was such a gift to me. And I think as an eight, I needed to face that so that I could give others the space to be that. Mm-hmm. So I think eights can tend to be rigid and and mm-hmm. hold a standard for people. This yes. is the standard and you need to be there. Mm-hmm. And if you're not there, what's wrong with you? Like that I think can just be do what you need to do to get there, right? And that's mm. that's a ungracious approach to life and to people. And so I'm I'm just so grateful for my own story, for for my own seasons of darkness and the way that God has stripped me of so much so that I could see the fullness of my sin. And so I think my advice to AIDS is just really press into what God has given you Mm -hmm. so that you can be able to give that to others, because there's just not a way that we're wired naturally to be gracious. It's not in there. Right. And and maybe that's a, a human, uh, you know, issue, not so much an eight issue, but I think eights have a, a, a harder time probably extending that grace, right. To others, mm-hmm. you just need to be better and do better. Right. 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 You're, you just make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's just a really ungracious way, um, to help people. And so that is something I have been very grateful for. I don't think I could do ministry or mm-hmm. love people well, or be a good spouse or a mother had I not been gifted that brokenness mm-hmm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so grace is being gracious, receiving the grace of God and extending that to others, I think really makes me someone that people can tolerate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. You know, and, and that honesty that people talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to be brutally honest, another thing to be graciously honest. Mm-hmm. And so I just um, really, really want to have that, have my voice dripping with grace mm-hmm. um, because it it makes truth easier to receive. Yes. And and there's no other option for an eight than truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you're going to speak truth, may it be in love mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. grace. So that's, I think, been something that I've really tried to cling to. I love this question because I think it reveals our even our own Enneagram styles. Like yeah. I asked the sevens and they were like, do something fun. <laughs> and the other was like, don't worry about having to entertain everybody. Cut yourself some slack. And yeah. the nines were like, it's okay to speak up and advocate mm-hmm. for yourself. And you as an eight, you're like, hey, this dark season of my life was the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was such sure. a sound <laughs> No, it's a hard yeah. thing in life that you're like, yeah, that was a gift. It that, was. And again, using that to inspire mm-hmm. other people, vulnerability begets vulnerability. Yes. And mm-hmm. so it's, I love this question. Yeah. It was really well said. All right, Daniel, what advice would you give? Well, first of all, eights don't take advice. So that's the hard part. So we'll start there. Take mm-hmm. advice. Um, <laughs> that's not true. It- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ding. Yes. I would say eights need to be broken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, if you raise horses, there's a spot where my mom always said this, she always said, wild horses need to be broken to be useful. And, and so, especially under God's direction, there's a refining fire that usually happens. I think all of us, all humans go mm-hmm. through some version of that. Eights just struggle to accept it. Mm-hmm. The eights that I've known and am related to and work with, have worked with, 
the reason they were challenging, first of all, they were not self-aware, which is obviously mm -hmm. a big deal. But the second piece is that when fire showed up in their life, refining fire, the, the, whatever the thing is, usually it's one or two big things, they did not respond with, this is going to grow me, or this is going mm -hmm. to create a new person of me. Instead, it was a resistance. Mm -hmm. They challenged it. They pushed back. They could not admit wrong. I've clearly seen that in my life uh, from an enormous part of my life. But several years ago, in that career transition from church to where we are now, there was a, a giant story that made that transition happen and mm -hmm. really refined me, saved my marriage. Uh, mm -hmm. My marriage would have fallen apart had I not actually yep. responded because I would have just dug my heels in and said, I'm right. This is an injustice against me. I'm going to fight with everything in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead, decided based on my wife's advice and, and empathy to me, gave up. Not gave up in the sense of gave up life, but gave up the fight. So yep. This is God. You're going to have to take this. And so mm -hmm. I would say most dates, if, you're, if you haven't been refined, God will do it. If you ask for it mm, and then, yeah, <laughs> and when you know it comes, then yeah. surrender. And that will allow you, I think, to have that story, to be gracious, to be empathetic to others mm -hmm. and to know how to do the thing that you're called to do. Yeah. Be broken. Allow yourself to be refined. I really could not have said this better myself. I appreciate the distinction that Sarah makes between being brutally honest and graciously honest. And I think this shows the growth journey of the Enneagram 8 perfectly. Second, it's really hard to accept advice for any Enneagram type, but especially for type 8s. It requires true humility to receive advice from others with appreciation. And the best way to teach yourself to receive advice from others with grace is to remember how much you value growth and to start seeing advice from others less as an attack on you and more as an opportunity for growth. In our final clip, we'll hear from Enneagram 9's Jamie Reclue and Trey Johnson on how conflict can help you have deeper and stronger relationships. But first, we'll start with a few simple tips for all the peacemakers out there. Don't be afraid to speak up. Mm. Asserting yourself, like we talked about in the bear, like there are so many other different types of people that conflict doesn't bother them near as much. And you are more sensitive to it. And that is a gift. It's mm. not a hindrance. But speak your mind. It is more than likely not going to cause a relationship to end. And because of the way that the nine operates, we tend to have the strength of doing it in a really healthy way of bringing about what we want to say. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's something that I'm still personally working on. <laughs> and it's been really important to me, but also really empowering to see that like in a work setting, in a personal setting, if I really feel strongly about something and I voice it, typically it goes well. Mm. And even though there's those like feelings of anxiety of, or knowing I've got to say this yeah, <laughs> or else I'm going to have internal chaos, chaos is still, once you get to the other side of it, it it's worth it. Your opinion and your thoughts matter. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And you know what? Every once in a while, pick where you want to eat. Even though most <laughs> of the time it usually doesn't matter. Sometimes make your opinion heard. I love that. The yeah. one time it does matter. Yeah, it's okay to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Trey, how about you? What advice do you have? It's important to press a nine mm. for an opinion if you know that it's there and mm. that they're not contributing to it because the way the nine brain works, it is for your benefit and the benefit of your team because they will. they are the ones who can see the perspective of, of the people around them. With that, 
this disclaimer. If you have a nine in your life and you're going to press them for their opinion, prepare yourself because <laughs> they have nines voice their opinion in a way that is the most comfortable for them in the most way that they think will land the best for you. When pressed, we haven't had that opportunity yet. Okay. And so the truth of what we say may not land or hit the way that it was intended. If you're a nine, don't let your eight wing be your accuser and your nine wing be your judge. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to sum that up just to make sure I'm tracking. So right. when you say your eight wing as the accuser and your nineness as the judge, I was thinking- the, the one wing as the judge. The one wing. Got it. Okay. I was thinking externally, like you're accusing others- and you're judging others, but you are thinking internally. Yeah. I'm accusing myself and I am judging myself. Yeah. That's fascinating. I think that's super helpful to hear that I think every Enneagram type is hardest on themselves than they are on other people. Yeah. But I think some people can miss that from the nines because they are so easygoing that we just assume mm -hmm. everything's good with you too. Yeah. So I appreciate a peek into that. Jamie, yeah. do you resonate with accusing yourself Absolutely. and judging yourself? Yeah. I had never thought about it in that way. But yeah, that's pretty spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for summarizing that. <laughs> this is why we're nines right. with these wings and not ones with a nine wing or eight with a nine wing is because that – external part, we do our internal filter to keep to keep ourselves from doing that. Mm. If what I'm going to say to you sounds judgmental, I'm just not going to say it. Yep. Or if what if I'm saying to you sounds like I'm accusing you, I'm just not going to say it because mm. I'm a nine. Right. And I, I, and I value our relationship more than whatever it is I have to say. Mm -hmm. But if I walk away and there is something that you needed to hear that I know you needed mm -hmm. and I didn't say it, that's that's my me judging myself. That's me accusing myself, being like, you were afraid of what this would do to your relationship, not knowing that every relationship is meant to evolve and change mm -hmm. as you interact with people. You want to keep the peace of the relationship that you have now, and yeah. you forsook what that could real the opportunity to grow, yeah, or to speak life into this person, or to, or to speak something into this person that would ultimately be for their benefit mm -hmm. because well of your fear. So. It's beautiful and mm -hmm. so good. Well, there you have it. Speak up, pick where you want to go to lunch, and don't let the fear of hurting someone else's feelings get in the way of standing up for yourself or speaking the truth to someone who desperately needs to hear it. I love my Enneagram 9 friends. They are excellent listeners and they love to keep things positive and they truly have this peaceful presence. And while I love to be listened to, don't get me wrong, I love to be listened to, I also love to listen. And I always feel more deeply connected with my nines when they share their thoughts and opinions with me, even if they differ from my own. So nines, share yourself with the rest of us. I promise we'll love you, even if we disagree. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, and I hope you found the clips valuable, and I hope you gained a deeper understanding of the Enneagram and how to use it to love yourself and others better. If you haven't heard, The Working Enneagram now has a YouTube channel where you'll find video versions of upcoming episodes and a wealth of additional content to further your Enneagram journey. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe so you never miss an episode or an update. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.